Hello and welcome. You are listening to Moodily Matters, the podcast that recognizes that your mood matters. Every episode, we talk to a range of amazing guests with experience in some of the top organizations in the world, discussing work life at the crossroads of mood, well-being, and performance. Together, we aim to create better workplaces, one mood at a time. Let's get started with your host, Moodily founder, Erica First. Hello and welcome. I am Erica First, your host of Moodily Matters. Today we speak with my old friend Chris Valentino, whose career in production began at NYU's Tisch Film School and has taken him to Hollywood and Madison Avenue. We talk about the challenges of mood in managing the creative process and how coming back to center is the key to feeling great and working better. Now on to the episode. So good morning and Chris, welcome and thank you so much for speaking to me today. It's my pleasure. It's good um, let's start out with you telling us a little bit about your professional journey that led you to where you are today. All right. Well, we'll start with where I am. I uh, run my own production company and small creative agency, and we do um, mostly storytelling videos for clients. A lot of um, Fortune 500 companies here in the United States, uh, mostly in healthcare do a lot of work with uh, the entertainment industry as well, broadcast. And my journey started back in college. I was at NYU. I got an internship one summer working for A&E Television Networks, which at the time was launching a new venture called the History Channel. And I was there at the beginning. And as a result, I was hired, you know, between my sophomore and junior year, I got a job there and kind of started in the production department and uh, just mostly in post-production side and taking old A&E shows and making, wrapping them up nicely to make them history channel shows. And from there, it just kind of grew out. Um, I was studying film and television, had the opportunity to make a, uh, a feature at one point. And um, so I was always involved in the creative process of storytelling in some shape or another. And uh, eventually my, any career moved me out of the, uh, you know, working directly for the company and uh, starting a production company with some friends. And we were doing um, promotions and advertising campaigns for various networks and some of the cable companies. And that was sort of the path. And I just kind of stayed on that. And as time went on, I had to learn new skills because things are always evolving and changing. So I took a lot of the, the film and television uh, experience that I had and started working in web and app development and exploring with augmented reality, which at the time was, you know, nobody knew what it was. We were some of the first people to play around doing stuff. And um, it was always about being agile and being willing to try something that was outside of your comfort zone. And uh, which was both exciting and stressful throughout but ultimately it's uh led me to essentially going out on my own and starting a company i still work with most of the same people that i've worked with for 20 years or so don't want to age myself but that's the fact of it and uh yeah and that's that's what i'm doing right now i'm working on a documentary film for a client and as well as other small short form stuff 
Now, if I remember correctly, um, one of your projects was making obituaries for people before they had died. Is that correct? Or like their biography films so yes. that if anything happened to them, they were ready to go on air? Yes, it's funny that you remember. That was a, a big core business at the time at A&E for, for the bio, biographies. And um, yeah, you had to just kind of sort of look at the landscape and say, okay, well, who theoretically uh, is going to die? And you had to preemptively create a story. And um, But you can't predict anything in life. I mean, so <laughs> that was always an adventure. And um, But that was where the, uh, the crux of of really news and entertainment kind of intertwined because you had to be on the pulse. And, and that was always, uh, that was pretty funny as well as uh, depressing at the time. <laughs> so, it's a rough list, yeah. list to find yourself on. <laughs> oh God. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> so I just, that, that flashed back into my mind. Um, but so thinking about your fields of work, which is obviously the mm-hmm. creative environment, what are some of the stressors that you come up against on a daily basis? Well, it's always demands, right? It's, you know, because even whether you're telling a creative story and starting from scratch or whatever, you know, we're in a business, a service business. So I have clients that I have to just make happy in one way or another. And um, a lot of times there's a, a creative, um, you know, a cohesive creative relationship where we're all on the same page and we can make things happen. But at the same token, you're always you know, like anything, you've got deadlines, you have uh, things that are out of your control. Um, the past two years taught us that we can't control pretty much anything. And, you know, so some of the stressors have always been meeting the demands of a timeline, meeting the demands of of working with people who may not understand what you do. I think that's one of the biggest stressors is trying to explain a creative process to somebody who might be more analytical or might be just looking at something from a strictly financial or number situation. So that making that correlation between, you know, A and B and C to kind of figure out what your end product is going to be is often stress inducing. And some of the things that really affect me personally are those deadlines. Like I'm working on a project now that isn't do until, you know, for three months from now. But in my mind, I'm always thinking, well, what do I need to get done to get to that point? Even though there's things that, I, that are out of my control because we haven't shot something yet or we haven't edited something, you know, and it won't happen for three or four weeks, but in my mind, they're constantly running through. So being able to detach from that and quietly just take a step back is one of the biggest challenges sometimes especially when you're working for yourself, because obviously when you're in, I imagine that the stress is a little bit different from being an entrepreneur than when you were working at A&E. Yeah, a hundred percent. You're constantly, you know, you've got to answer to yourself. You've got to answer to your clients and there isn't a, um, as hard as you might try, there isn't a structured day you know, you're working all the time and, um, you know, like yourself, we're in a global environment now. So clients are everywhere. So you're 
normal hours don't exist within a, a nine to five structure. You know, if you've got to talk to, if I've, you know, I had a call yesterday, 8 a.m. my time with somebody in England, and then I had to stay up until 10 p.m. to talk to somebody else. And so, you know, it's just, you're, you're stretching your yourself so thin to try and fill out that time. And then you've got to look for those moments in the context of that to still be centered whole and human. And that's one of the biggest, biggest challenges. Um, what's been, I guess, a fortunate uh, side effect of, of COVID and all the impact that it's had on our business is, is the remote aspect, being able to work from home, being able to still collaborate in a digital world and do things without any limitations, really. There hasn't been anything that's kind of affected the workflow or the process. But what it has given me is if, you know, I'm working on an edit and I'm going to render something and I don't have a call for an hour, I can get up, go for a walk with my dog, come back and just get that headspace centered again to, to get back to where I need to be. So that is good. Being able to not be confined by an office situation where you can't leave or you have to be on point or, you know, and you're, you're in a meeting that perhaps is unnecessary or going on too long. Um, so those are the, uh, that, that's been sort of a benefit, I guess, of all of this is just basically finding that time. And, um, and that's been helpful to kind of stay in a good mood <laughs> throughout it all. You just gave me my segue. <laughs> um, so, looks like we did it on purpose, but we didn't. Um, so talking about mood, obviously, I also worked in the creative industry and um, and you're in the service industry. How much does people's mood, your clients, your collaborators, your teams, your own, impact how your day unfolds? It's one of the biggest factors it it impacts every level of what you do if if you're working with a client who um is you know excited about what you're doing and um you know just feels that same momentum you feel then you're going to feel it right you're everyone's going on the same ride but um if you're with somebody who doesn't see it or maybe they're having a bad day or whatever it is you know, I think we all have a hard time of, of leaving stuff behind. We carry that baggage with us no matter what. And, um, but so if I'm in a situation where somebody either we're just not connecting or we don't see eye to eye, it can really derail everything. And I'm the kind of person that even if you're the client and you're paying me to do something, I will argue if I don't agree with what it is you're asking me to do. And um, that is something that I feel passionate about primarily because a lot of times I'm working on creative content, which is telling people stories. And so if I was sitting and interviewing you and talking about your business and your work and your life and family, I want your voice to come through authentically. And sometimes, you know, your assignment is to just do X, Y, and Z. And so that's where often I'll, I'll have friction and but we'll ultimately get to where we need to be and it'll be a better product for it but um that mood can affect everything and when we're working in an agency 
environment, which you're familiar with, you have multiple people at the table. And a lot of those people sometimes are answering to one person who sets the tone for everybody. So you might have a leader that you're working with who may not be all that inspiring and therefore it'll drag down everybody else and then it'll trickle down. The people that are working for me, whether it's the editors or designers, if clients are happy with something, I'm, you know, I can't take that and dump it on somebody else. We got to figure out a, a creative collaborative way to lift up the, what we're doing, not turn it into something that's going to just make everybody feel down. Cause when you're down, you get slower and everything just comes to a halt. So, yeah. And so going back to the point of like, sometimes the client doesn't necessarily have a thorough understanding of the creative process and, and of mm-hmm. what's doing. So sometimes they can make comments that, um, can be depressing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and But you still have to make those changes, right? And you have your creatives or your directors and your editors or whatever, and your designers who hear this feedback and they get demotivated by the mm-hmm. fact that because creative people are exalted by people, you know, they treat their they treat their products as babies and everybody wants the other person to love their babies. So when you critique right. their work, they get they can go into a funk. I've had creative directors who would like disappear for three days after they got negative feedback Mm -hmm. just because they had to deal with their whole emotional reaction to that. How do you as a business owner and the bridge between those two navigate Um, that experience? Well, admittedly, I've lied to people like my (laughs) designers on more than one occasion. Like they love it, but... I think we should try to explore this. You know what I mean? You've got to sort of figure out that way to, um, like you said, I mean, artists are emotional people and we all are, but you know, when somebody's putting a piece of themselves into what they're doing, which is makes it ultimately so much better, you have to kind of temper that. And I've worked with <laughs> creative directors too, who've sort of thrown their pencils down and walked out of the room and, um, you know, ultimately everybody just kind of needs time to process. And so part of it sometimes is giving that time and to kind of talk through it and say, well, let's try to understand what they didn't like about it. Or if you really think this is what we need to do, where, how could we get them to come around? And so a lot of times it's just sort of, it's discussion, it's conversation, but um, you can't always overcome that because sometimes like, you know, your client at the end of the day, who's hired you to do a job, you got to do your job. And that means doing what they need or what they want. So you have to, you have to come to the table prepared to, to put all of your effort into it, but also be prepared to understand that, you know, it may not be ultimately what you envisioned at the end. It's going to be the, the final product, but that doesn't make it any less worthy if the people that have hired you love the end result because that's where they want it to go then you got to take that and embrace it i have one (laughs) colleague of mine one of our creative directors who every time a client wants to change something his response is like okay it's not going to be a clio winner but fine we'll make it you know (laughs) that's always his like his fallback we're not going to win a word with this i don't care we'll do what they want but you know you can't take that approach either because you have to kind of be willing to accept whatever criticism or whatever changes there are, but 
sort of like find it in yourself to to say, all right, well, we can do that. All right, it may not be ideal, but but let's let's make this great. You know, and that's challenging for anybody. And I was actually going to just add on to the the point that it seems odd because it, you know when we work in a work environment, we want everybody to be on the same page and happy and doing their thing, but actually usually the best directors and the best creatives are emotional people because they are so vested in what they're doing and they want it to be perfect and they have a vision and they need to express it. So you almost want, and this is one of the difficulties of being in production, you almost want a out there (laughs) director or out there creative because they're really, they put all themselves in. And so most of your job becomes actually managing Managing. the moods of your creative person to get them in the right place to bring out the best that they have to have. And a lot of that is by shielding them from negative, negative criticism because they don't really, most don't take it well. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, in my old <clears throat> company, we had a lot of that where uh, there were several of us sort of all leading specific silos of, of creative. And then there were several people that worked for all of us who had to then execute those things. And, you know, there wasn't a, always a direct line of thought or creative. And so there was a lot of friction and sometimes you had to protect an artist from another creative because, you know, the creative didn't like what they would want to do. And their, you know, way of critiquing it is to just destroy it or blow it up. So you got to take that and then somehow manage that other person and say, okay, we've got to like, let's bring this around and let's see how we can do it. But then you have to manage those um, relationships in a way where they're still collaborative, even within the context of uh, conflict and that 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 is where you sometimes find the best results for sure yeah yes well I mean I always found that um the negotiating the different points of view led to kind of a new space that neither had imagined at the beginning and which frequently where the innovation comes from um but let's talk about you so we're talking about your role basically having to um <laughs> be a bridge between these two worlds of creative and commerce. Can you think of a time where your mood kind of got away from you and negatively impacted your performance? Like you said something you didn't mean to, you did something you didn't mean to, and then you had oh, to sure. walk, you had to walk it back or you realized like, Oh my God, what I must've been in some headspace. Cause I never would have done that normally. Yeah. I think there's, you know, there's been a few of those situations sometimes where, um, especially when I'm wearing multiple hats, if it's a, it's a creative hat, it's, you know, I'm producing and directing and, and executive producing, which is, which is different than just being, you know, a, a producer. And so you trying to wear all those things down. Um, I found myself in the situations where, um, trying to manage a lot of different people and a lot of moving parts when something didn't go wrong, like I would just lose my mind be like, we, you know, this can't happen. Are you kidding me? You know, you just kind of get to that point. And then what happens is you get so focused on what didn't go right that you get derailed from what you should be focusing on. And, um, a lot of times like it's a good walk or it's, uh, it's a good coffee break to kind of reset 
you still almost have to remove, you know, I find my, I have to remove myself from the situation when that happens. Um, but yeah, there's been situations where just things didn't go right or, um, you know, you feel you're, you've got to go all the way back to the beginning to start over. And it's sort of like, do I even want to do this anymore? You know, you, I think we all get to that point. And, um, but like you said earlier, it's sort of like, you have to take that and figure out, okay, well, how do we navigate to a new space where we're all going to be happy? And sometimes that takes a lot of work. Sometimes, sometimes it's easy. Um, and it's definitely easier when you can lean on people as a, post always trying to silo responsibility or silo emotions i think the more that you can kind of look to those that you're working with or even people outside of what you're doing like get another opinion or get somebody who's removed sometimes if you can have that dialogue it does kind of unlock um those moods it does brighten it up so i found myself in situations like that before for sure that's really interesting also because it's kind of a consciousness that I can't see this now because I'm in a certain head space. So I need someone else with fresh eyes to look at Like, am, am I overreacting? Am I right. reading this right? Like, how do you see it? Which is an interesting <clears throat> yeah. also approach to do, you know, even for any of us on a normal day, like once you get into that space and you're convinced that the company has it against you and all this, you know, have someone else take a look at it and say like, yeah. am I reading this properly or am I paranoid? Because we do, once we get into those negative moods, we actually uh, neuroscientifically become much more uh, paranoid, hyper reactive. And we assume that everyone's out to get us. And so we don't see things clearly. So getting yeah. that third opinion or an objective opinion on your situation. So I wanted to, in those days where you're asking yourself, do I even want to do this anymore? Obviously you're still doing it. So what do you do to yourself to get yourself into that headspace where it's like, no, you know what? Okay. <sighs> like, do you have any routines or methods or tricks? Um, you know, I mean, if we've on a, on a larger scale, if I look at, even just the general days or sometimes where it's kind of like, it's, you know, getting out of bed is, do I want to go to work today kind of thing. Um, I find for me personally, things that will always redirect my mood, even if I'm stuck creatively, if I can't get an edit to work or a script to come together, I find music is always my go-to. And, um, and it's been that way, even in terms of drafting some of the stories, if I know the tone of what I want out of it, I'll kind of pull together a soundtrack from maybe a movie or something else that's influenced and had that effect on me. So I pull those um, basic emotions or recall those emotions to kind of help me center and focus. And it's the same thing, you know, if, if you're on set and something isn't going right and you, you want to just blow it all up and walk away like that's when you just for me it's like i gotta go and get a grab a coffee you know get some the blood sugar going go for a little walk and then come back and usually that's that's all i need to do or or it's call somebody who's not there and you know and share the experience because sometimes it's just you just need to release it um for me at least i just need to kind of make that shift and so it's either communicating with somebody outside of the it, the specific situation that i'm in or it's just simple as putting on music or 
you know, kind of the music is probably the big thing I would think for me. And what's your go-to song or go-to band? Well, oh God, I don't think I have one, honestly. Like um, what I have been doing recently uh, this past year, COVID, is I've been playing like old 40s music, like just oh. some of the big band standards. Like, And it's sort of like there's something about that music that is just, just shifts. Maybe it takes me back to being a kid and hearing it, you know, whether it's uh, Louis <laughs> Prima or Jump Jive. And what, I don't know what it is. Right, exactly. But I mean, just I remember like hearing my grandparents have those songs and it's kind of like they come back or like now we're heading into the holidays and you go back to like those classic, you know, singer songwriters. I haven't found a contemporary Christmas music that I like, you know what I mean? That doesn't work for me. But um, so for me, like this past year, it's been finding like all that stuff and discovering things I never heard before. Um, And uh, so that's that's where I've gone to recently. That's um, so interesting because I was actually just thinking, as I asked you the question, I was also thinking like, what, what have I been listening to? And um, much to my daughter's dismay, I've been a little bit <laughs> obsessed with um, the come to your senses track from tick, tick, boom. And, it, <laughs> and I was thinking like, why did my, my daughter hates, musicals like with a passion and I'm not a big you know I always think it's weird when you're talking and somebody bursts into song but when I was a kid I did a lot of musical theater so I have it you know in my Mm -hmm. heart and so I was thinking like why do why am I so attracted to this song and like you said it's because it took me back to sort of a place when I was much younger but not younger Mm -hmm. younger like fun 20s like eight, nine, you know, (laughs) things felt like young and innocent and, and all fresh. Mm -hmm. And so I kind I think that's interesting when you say about these 1940s songs that, you know, you remember your grandparents playing it. So it takes us back to like a very sort of safe, protected, happy, Mm -hmm. innocent time, which, um, yeah, which the, the nostalgia itself will kick you into a different place and make you even nicer to the people around you. Yeah, 100%. So let's talk about well-being because we kind of got into that. What is your definition of well-being at work? Hmm. I think for me, it's just being in a space where um, I can be somewhat clear in thought right a lot of times I get so hyper focused on whatever I'm doing other times I'm constantly multitasking because I'm dealing with the business side I'm dealing with the creative side I'm responding to numerous emails and requests and so um I need to be able to to kind of jump between all of that without losing the the focus and the clarity on what it is I'm supposed to do. So for me, well, if I'm in a good space where I can do that and kind of jump around and, you know, check an email, respond to an email, work on a budget, but then also go to a script or something, um, then I feel good. And that, that balance makes me feel good. Um, I will admittedly say that uh, when you first shared moodily with me, a while back now like there were times like i would just say all right let me just put it on let me listen to it 
while I get something set up. You know, and, not and those paid were, endorsement. <laughs> not paid endorsement. But I found, you know, I just enjoyed and you know, it just uh and that is an example again of going back to the music side, right? Like you've you've taken you know, simple thought, not to simplify the, the science behind it and the work behind it, but you've taken essentially just simple conversations and words, you put them together with music that sort of emotes a feeling and kind of uh, helps, I don't want to say manipulates, but, you know, it basically gets you where you need to go. Encourages. Encourages. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, and it, you know, it just basically puts you into that space. And, and so sometimes like, all right, so they recommend this one. Let me just hear it and just see it. And so sometimes I only catch little pieces of it. If I'm distracted, other times I will sit and literally just devote attention to it. If, um, you know, I need to be in a specific head, headspace. Often I would, uh, you know, the first thing I do in the morning after everybody's out of the house, I'll, I'll go and exercise. And sometimes my, you know, end of exercise routine was to put on one of the moodily, you know, tracks just to listen to it. Cause at the time I was trying to, you know, he would ask me, why don't you, you know, to check out it, see how it works and give you feedback. And so I just found myself really in that routine where it was kind of, you do this intense exercise and then you would just kind of like sit and relax. And it got me in a great spot. Does that make sense? That's, yeah, no, it's such an interesting also concept because it's kind of like you we talked about it before you can become someone else when you get into a different headspace or you get angry, you can embody a different, maybe less attractive version of yourself. And so when you have like your mood and your well-being set and your thoughts clear, you are 100% the person that you know you are and you can respond according to the way that you feel is faithful to yourself. So it's kind of interesting that the well-being space is is kind of that neutral area where you're 100% who you know you are without being tainted by stress or clients or deadlines mm-hmm. and stuff like that, which I think is a really interesting idea. Yeah, which probably relates back to the whole nostalgia feeling you were saying before. Like, if you think about when we were younger, we didn't have all this external weight or responsibilities. So you experienced things and you just felt the joy in that experience. Um, and so for me, like music gets me back into that space. It gets me centered to, to kind of the root of who, who I am. And that definitely helps improve the work that I'm doing. I love that. That's, that's such an important thought. I'm going to steal that from you. <laughs> now, what about All the yours. people that you... <laughs> What about the people that you work with? Because obviously you manage a giant team. Mm-hmm. How, uh, what does well-being for you towards them mean? Like you want, how do you want to make sure they're feeling well? Well, I will tell you, um, the majority of the people that work closely with me all like kind of share a similar um, outlook, right? Like um, everybody's pretty supportive of one another. Everybody, uh, loves the aspect of work that they do what i have to often kind of remind people is to to take a break to step back because even if we're against a deadline if they're you know we got to get this done and they're just they're going to work through lunch and or they're going to put their lunch on their keyboard which drives me nuts um you know 
then they're not giving themselves the space to, you know, go to the bathroom to, to have a drink. You know, they can't just be so hyper-focused in what they're doing because then I don't think they're bringing the, the best of themselves to that. And, um, you know, since everybody's been in a home work environment, I think it's gotten a little bit better because I think as much as we can get focused and close our doors and get into our space and do our thing, we also have the freedom to just move around unjudged, right? Like when we're all sitting in the same room and you got four actor after effects artists and you got an editor here and this and that, everybody feels like I have to be working harder than that person or I have to do, and you know, that's kind of removed and the work is still great. There's still, there's deadlines are still made or met early. And it's because everybody just feels a little bit lighter. And I think so COVID's kind of helped with that a little bit, you know, just this uh, forced isolation in some ways kind of gives people, um, gives them more space, I guess, is the way that I look at it. Um, but I also have a couple people that I work with that have, um, you know, they have kids at home who they've got to, you know, take here and there or meet at the bus or whatever it is. And I'm just like, family first, let's do it. I mean, unless we've got something scheduled on the call, don't feel like you can't leave and do what you do. And I think that balance also um, helps. And I think also knowing that nobody has to ask permission to do anything because there's, there's respect, there's understanding, and there's compassion for everybody's place in life. I think it also helps people in their position. Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like you're already a rather evolved manager because not everyone is, uh, you know, I've heard a lot of horror stories of people saying that they had to keep their computers on while they were at home so that the boss could make sure they were working. And, you know, that's just, it's so counterintuitive because the more you feel disrespected or untrusted, uh, you know, if I'm going to accuse you of the crime, then you might as well be guilty of it. So people end up playing yes. into the role that you paint for them. They're like, you're a criminal. Mm -hmm. They're like, all right, fine. Then I'm going to skip out early because that's what you've made of me. <laughs> um, so, you know, it sounds, uh, sounds you're already very aware to paying attention, actually encouraging them. And I think it's also because we know that creatives who are in bad headspaces don't produce well. And I think a lot of people that it's not exclusive to creatives. Um, it's mm -hmm. all of us. If we're in a bad headspace, we don't produce as well. We may deliver, but actually the quality of our work suffers um, because we don't have access to that, the, the richness of our yeah. full brain. Um, and it's probably a little bit more typical. We know dealing with creatives because they are so much more expressive about their mood states that we know that if they're not caught, you know, you have to keep them in a good mood state. Otherwise they don't work, but it's true for all of us that the quality of our work is really impacted if, and the relationship with our boss, you know, if I don't feel like I can go yep. get my kid and you put me in a position where I have to choose between my family or my job, you know, that's a tension and emotional tension that you don't want to put on to your employees because it creates resentment and eventually they're going to do mm -hmm. something to get you back. <laughs> <laughs> I think also, you know, for us, I mean, we, 
started in a, a you know a different structure than we are both now and um you know i look back to some of those early days uh and you know those the companies that i've worked at prior to working on my own like there was always that heavy um expectation or uh and everybody expects people to do what they need to do but there was always that heavy um you have to do this or you have to report this and you've got to it's like everything was watched to the point where you just never totally felt um valued and i think that's you know the the kicker like if you're going to hire somebody and whether they you know they're brilliant at it or they're starting out on their first day regardless like you just have to give them the respect as a you know another human being to to kind of give this space like i you know you're here you know this is your job and you know if you need help reach out i trust you do great you know but um and a lot of that does rely on you know all of us to communicate and i think that sometimes people might be too afraid to to say what they're thinking or to ask can i leave early or can i do this or whatever but i think if you don't ask you don't have those conversations you're hurting yourself as well yeah but um you know i definitely learned a lot being in that position where i always had to answer to somebody or to a, a a corporate ideal that it for all intents and purposes, totally made up by somebody, you know, it's like, yes, this one's interpretation of this is how we have to do things. But then if you're in a different department, this is how we do things. And yeah. and that's a big challenge in, in work. Yeah. And I always, one of the things I say, cause I still do like a lot of mentoring for younger women and stuff. I say, don't choose the company, choose your boss, because ultimately mm-hmm. how that person sets the tone in their team and sets the work is what counts because the company may look like this, but if you end up working with somebody who expects you to be reachable at all hours of the day, that's, that's what, that's your reality. So make sure you have very clear on who you're working for, because that's, you're going to end half of your job is also managing your boss. So is this someone that you can manage or is it, you know, going to be a nightmare? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then my last question for you is what advice would you give to somebody entering the workforce today and how to deal with their own mood and well-being in the office? Well, from I, I get a lot of, uh, um, you know, emails or call, you know, people reaching out all the time who want to kind of work in the space and they're always a, either looking for a specific job or want to know how to get started. And the biggest challenge that everybody faces at least right now is even though there's seemingly this great wealth of opportunity out there, it's still very small and it's still very contained and there's only so many jobs that are available. And so for a lot of young people, it's tough to, to break in and find an opening where they can start. And um, when you don't find it after five emails or a hundred calls or whatever it is that you're doing, it can really beat you down. And um, the few people that I've spoken to and some really talented people that, you know, just didn't have an opportunity for them to, to work together with us. But I'd be like, look, just stay focused in, um, on what it is you love about 
what you want to do and kind of be true to yourself and, and create any opportunity that you can, um, you know, be mindful that, you know, the, (laughs) there's a lot of challenges. There's a lot of obstacles. I think, um, I'm one of those people that if I, I get an email, I will respond to it, whether I know you or not, but I know there's a lot of other people. It's just like trash, delete, whatever. If it's a, a blatant sales thing, I probably will trash and delete it. But if it's somebody who's genuinely reaching out, looking for experience or advice, like whether I know them or not, I'll take a minute to respond. It's kind of a, you know, a human thing to do. So I just got to remind people to just, you know, to, to be persistent, to kind of find a space that you can, you know, do what you love and still pursue what you love and know that things take time patience is like you know the best thing that you can have um but persistence is also important yes especially in um in your field which is a it's a tough field to break into yeah yeah and it's a it's a brutal field too at times (laughs) yes Yes, one of it's one of the hardest. I mean, I had um, I feel incredibly lucky to have been able to work near. Uh, it was actually my initial intentions out of college were to go into production, and I ended up going into I ended up moving to Italy, which uh, took me on a different path. But um, I would have had eight thousand more wrinkles on my face if I had started in production. <laughs> I don't understand how producers do it because it's one of the hardest jobs on the planet to to do that every single day. Um, But yeah, it's a tough business. Um, Now, where can people that are interested in knowing more about you and your company, where can they find you? Well, my company website is beanlabs.com, B-E-A-N labs.com. And um you know, a lot of some of the work that I have is there. Uh, that's primarily where, um, you know, you can kind of find a bit about me. And uh, I have a personal website too, uh, which is some of my directing and creative work. Uh, and that is um, mrvalentino.tv. And uh, those are the two places, at least find me online. I'm on social, but uh, I haven't been too busy to actually be persistent with it. Um, and yeah. And of course I'm uh, we're on LinkedIn too, which, but, uh, and now that we know you name. answer emails. <laughs> yes, I do. I do answer emails. That is true. We, and several other people do for me as well. And it's just kind of, I don't know if you can, you know, if you're looking for a start and looking for advice and, um, yeah, don't be afraid to send that email, just be genuine and, uh, don't be formula. Don't, send an email out and CC 90 other people in that email. Yes. Cause then I know you didn't take the time, you know, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, everybody needs a start. I needed one, you know, we, we all need to start somewhere and figure out where we want to go. And also we need to understand young people starting out that your path isn't linear and it doesn't mean where you're headed now is where you're going to end up. Um, so you know, I am proof of that. <laughs> yeah. So give yourself, give yourself a break when you need it and understand that, uh, um, you know, it doesn't have to be a solo journey either. There's people out there that want to help other people. So, yeah. 
Awesome. So thank you so much for taking your time to talk to us today. And we hope to talk to you again soon. Well, thank you, Erica. It's a pleasure. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Moodly Matters. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate that effort. And we'll catch you in the next episode of Moodly Matters.